In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins unto God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unbelieving. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, redeem us, and lead us. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. and praise, 
Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 
Amen. The reading of the Holy Scriptures. The Old Testament reading appointed for the first Sunday in Advent is from the prophet Jeremiah, the 33rd chapter. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading from 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Hallelujah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Hallelujah. We stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 19th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, whereon entering you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Together we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory, to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text from the Holy Gospel, these words, as he, Jesus, was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Contemporary writer Leroy Brownlow has said, There are times when silence has the loudest voice. And he's right, isn't he? It's true. Has it ever happened to you when you've received from someone else the silent treatment? Perhaps it's from a spouse or a parent or a friend, the silent treatment, more painful than many things. To a spouse, it can be more crushing than angry words, as indicated by the quote, spiteful words can hurt your feelings, but silence breaks the heart. And to the child, silence can be more painful than a swat across the posterior. And Luther knew that well. It's even said that when one of his sons disobeyed, acted rudely, that Luther refused to talk to his son for two or three days or even to recognize his presence in the room, an experience that his son did not want to have repeated again because it was more painful than had he received a swat or two. And back in 1950, novelist and educator Gloria Naylor spoke of the special value of silence and she said, quote, there's a time for silence. There's a time to let go and allow people to hurl themselves into their own destiny and a time to prepare then to pick up the pieces when it's all over. And isn't that at least in part what our text for today is really all about? For well over four centuries prior to today's text, God had indeed been silent. For well over 400 years, he would not speak through prophets as he had so commonly and so faithfully done in times past. For 400 years, he remained silent. 400 years of deafening silence during which he allowed his people to hurl themselves down the path of their own obstinate resistance to his word and to his will that he had made so plain through the prophets that he had sent to them in ancient Judah and Israel. But they ignored that word. They indeed came to the point of even despising that word. And so God let them go their own way. He remained silent. He did not speak to them in order that they might see for themselves where their sin and their sinful choices would take them. So they could see for themselves what their lives would become without the Lord at the helm of the ship as they would go about pilotless in the storms of the sea. And so it was that before the 400 years of silence that God had spoken, as we heard today in the Old Testament lesson that God had spoken through the young prophet Jeremiah and told Jeremiah to tell the people of this impending destruction that was going to come upon Jerusalem and the consequential silence of God that would also follow it. And so 
He says in the chapter before today's text, This city, God says, has aroused my anger and my wrath from the day that it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all of the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they've done to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have all turned their backs to me instead of their faces. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive my instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name, and they thus defile it. Those are the words of the Lord from the chapter right before our text for today. That and so much more. Words of warning, words of impending doom, words given to the prophet Jeremiah to speak to a people who simply were refusing to listen to God. And do you know where Jeremiah was, by the way, when he received this word from God to speak to the people? He was sitting in a prison cell. Young man sitting in a prison cell, a cell into which he had been placed not by the oncoming King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians who would hold them all captive in due time. No, not at all, but rather by his own king, by King Zedekiah who had imprisoned him for daring to prophesy against Judah. How dare you prophesy against us? And so it was his own king that put him into jail. You see, sin will, after a time of warning unheeded, sin will silence God. Sin will silence him as he, in essence, says, All right, have it your own way. Go your own path. And he allows sin to carry the impenitent sinner ever closer to the abyss from which there is no return. And why does he do it? Why does God allow all of this to happen? He does so in order that the impenitent sinner might see for himself the narthex of hell, if you will. The entryway to the horrors that would be his were it not that God intervened graciously to let him see what his doom would indeed be, where his sins ultimately would take him. And so it was that God allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed and God allowed its inhabitants to be taken far away into their Babylonian captivity The people, because of their own sin, because of their own obstinate refusal to acknowledge their sin, to confess their sin, and to repent of their sin, and their obstinate refusal to to see God as being their salvation from their sin, they plunge themselves into the trouble that they have, and they lose nearly everything that has been given them and has given any meaning to their lives. They lose their temple and its priesthood. They lose their city and its king. They even lose their homes and their families. Is it any wonder then that when it happened, God seemed to be either absent to them or if he is present, They must have thought that he was present to punish them, and they certainly hoped it was the former rather than the latter. Whatever, it wouldn't be long, and God would for four long centuries remain silent 
silent for generations, but not quite yet. Not quite yet. Not before giving his people hope. Hope in a future, hope in a promise, a word of promise, a word of hope, namely the word of Jeremiah in the Old Testament reading that we heard for today, words of Advent hope, coming hope, words of Advent promises of one who would come to deliver them from what they had done to themselves. And so, as we heard in the Old Testament lesson, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah and in those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely and this is the name by which it will be called the Lord is our righteousness. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, was setting before his people the promise with a large P and the hope with a large H, which would sustain them during their time of sin-caused and self-imposed captivity. A captivity during which they would learn ever so painfully that sin has its consequences. And we've learned that lesson, too, in the course of our own days, haven't we? That sin, indeed, does have its consequences. It did for the generation of ancient Israel and for Judah that turned its back upon God rather than its faces toward him. And it still does today as people, as we ourselves, all too often, sinfully turn our backs toward God. Pursuing our own earthborn and our earthbound pleasures rather than turning our faces to Him, that we might learn from Him and of Him and be cleansed and be forgiven by Him and, and have His face shine upon us. Backs turn to God rather than faces. It happens in a hundred and more ways as we race off here and we rush off there so busy with our work or our play that there's little or no time for him on our day as we pack him away for another week or perhaps for another month or even for another season of the church year. Backs turn to God rather than faces as even on the Lord's day we who know where he has promised to come with us and where he has promised to meet us and where he has promised to speak to us and where he's promised to feed us, we still attempt to excuse and absolve ourselves for neglecting the very word and sacrament by which he would absolve us. Backs turn to God rather than faces as we are more concerned about being politically correct and socially acceptable than we are about being biblically consistent and seeing sin for what sin is and calling sin, sin. Backs turn to God rather than faces when we concede that which is not ours to concede, namely the doctrines of Scripture as expounded in the creeds and the confessions of the church, the faith that we falter to defend, though so many were faithful unto death, and confessing that same faith before us. Our backs turn to God rather than faces 
as we piously think ourselves righteous because of what we do on Sunday and because of what we don't do on Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week, when in reality the only righteousness that any of us has before the face of God is to be found in the bloodied face and the nail-pierced hands and feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that the hope and the promise that we in our day have, just as the people in days of old had? Isn't that the promise that was God-inspired for Jeremiah, the prophecy when he said, I will come and I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David? Wasn't then Jeremiah speaking of, indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ? Wasn't he speaking prophetically of Christ, who is that righteous branch that has sprung up from the root of David? And for us all, the one that's called the Lord is our righteousness, the Lord who imputed, who credited our sin to himself and his righteousness to us. And in that great exchange, which St. Paul speaks about so beautifully, when he said, he that knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we then might be the righteousness of God. Indeed, Jesus was. Indeed, Jesus is. And that's why God was silent for 400 years before Christ's coming. As the writer of Hebrews puts it so well in his opening sentence of his epistle, he says, Long ago, at many times and in various ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by and through his Son. God's extended silence was but the divine prelude to his most important speaking of all through the life, the death, and the resurrection of his Son, a prelude of pregnant Silence. A silence that you just experienced. A pregnant silence as you waited to and wondered what would be said next. And that's what God was doing during this 400 years of silence. It was a pregnant silence whereby he remained silent in order that when he did then speak, the people would most certainly listen. And so it was that when the time came for God to speak again, when the Christ would be born, that the heavens opened and the angels themselves sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And as we heard also in today's gospel lesson, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and both heaven and earth join together in a chorus that welcomes the righteous branch when he comes. A silence broken by the angels, a silence broken by God's people finally when he came. The Pharisees we heard in today's gospel tried to silence it all by saying to Jesus, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if these were silent, the very stones themselves would cry out because the righteous one has come. God's self-imposed silence was about to be broken not merely by words from his lips but also by divine deeds of sacrifice and salvation which would put down our sin and put down our death and put down Satan's hell and all of his minions forever. As prophesied by Jeremiah of old, Jesus Christ, the Lord, our righteousness, silenced all that would have eternally silenced you from the first to the last of sinners, from the, the least to the greatest of our sins, silenced all by Christ. 
And speaking of Christ silencing the greatest of sins, in 1966, Japanese novelist Shisaku Endo wrote an interesting historical fiction entitled Shinmoku, which translated means silence, believed by some critics to be one of the finest novels of the 20th century. It's a story of a fictional Jesuit missionary whose name is Sebastio Rodriguez, who was sent to Japan in order to encourage the fledgling Christian church there and to investigate reports that his mentor, a father Fiera, has committed apostasy and has fallen away from the faith. Father Rodriguez and his companion, Father Francisco Garpe, arrive in Japan in 1638. There they find the local Christian population has been driven underground and are thus called Kakuri Karishitan, or hidden Christians, is a name that they then have, hidden Christians. Hidden Christians which are sought out by the security officials of the shoguns who force suspected Christians to trample on Fumi. Fumi, a crudely crafted image of Christ. If you were suspected to be a Christian, you had to trample on Fumi. And those who refuse to do so are imprisoned, and they're eventually killed by Anazuri, which is being hung upside down over a pit that's filled with the bodies of other executed Christians who have been slowly bled to death before you. The novel relates the trials of these hidden Christians and the interesting hardship that was suffered by Father Rodriguez as more has learned about the circumstances of his mentor's apostasy. And finally, as the novel reaches its end, Rodriguez is himself betrayed by a Judas-like character. He's arrested. He's commanded to trample underfoot a Fumi, the crudely carved image of Christ. And here's what the author records. He says, the face of the Fumi, this crudely carved picture of Christ, the face of the Fumi was different from that on which the priest had gazed so often in Portugal, in Rome, in Goa, in Macau. It was not the Christ whose face was filled with majesty and glory. Neither was it a face made beautiful by endurance to pain. Nor was it a face with strength of will that had resisted temptation. The face of the crucified man who then lay at his feet in the Fumi was sunken and it was utterly exhausted. The sorrow it had gazed up at him as the eyes spoke appealing to him and said, trample, trample me. This is why I came, to be trampled upon by you. An odd twist to the end of the novel. An uncomfortable twist that seems to encourage apostasy and the denial of Christ in the face of torture and death something which Christ's prophets and his apostles and his confessors throughout the ages certainly would not and did not do, so many lives of martyrdom attesting to that fact. And yet, if understood in a slightly different way, with the emphasis being upon Christ and what he came to do rather than upon the priest and what he might or might not do, it is certainly true. Christ came to be trampled upon by the worst sins of the worst sinners, and that includes the sin of denial too. 
a sin confessed, which will, because of Christ, be sin forgiven, and none less than St. Peter himself knows that to be true. Jesus Christ came for us all to be all for us that God's holiness requires us to be. And that's why with Jeremiah of old, we call him the Lord, our righteousness. That's why with the people of Jerusalem of so long ago, we welcome him still in his very body and his blood. And we sing today what they sang so many yesterdays ago, Hosanna. Blessed is he who still comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And that's why we begin the Advent season with that prayer and also with this Advent call. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Hosanna, come to save us. Come to save us all. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
make our requests on behalf of the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their need. We now pray. Lord God, who did come to us when you sent your Son, who still comes to us when Christ comes in word and under humble sacramental form, and who will come again to receive all believers unto yourself when Jesus Christ returns, receive our thanks that you have lovingly condescended to be near to us, that we by your grace might ever be near to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In this Advent season and beyond, bless the pastors of your church, Lord Jesus, with a firm understanding of your word and conviction to speak it, that they might unwaveringly and unfearingly preach your word of law that convicts hearts of sin and proclaim your gospel in order to assure all that in you their sin has been put away. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless also your people with open ears to hear your word and by your word open hearts to believe it. By heaven send wisdom, guard your people from cleverly devised falsehoods and teachings of men that would lead them away from the truth, and grant all your people steadfastness in life's confession to live in this world knowing that we who have been born from above are no longer of this world. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of the nations, raise up leaders among the kingdoms of the nations and of the world through whom justice and goodwill prevail and that they might be promoted. And by them curb evil and protect the innocent. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In a world under the shadow of sin and its effects, shine upon those who despair. Grant strength to your people who are caught in and struggle with particular sins. Assure the guilt-stricken of Jesus' cross one forgiveness that overcomes and cannot be overcome. Embrace the lonely with the prophetic certainty fulfilled that our Christ and King has indeed come to us, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. While we wait upon you, Lord God, to accomplish through our sicknesses and infirmities that which is to our eternal good, enable each of us to recall your promises that endure throughout endless ages, that we would be enabled thereby to be still and to know that you are God and you are in control of our days and our hours. To that end, uphold the chronically ill and infirmed from our congregation, those recovering from surgery, those facing treatments, as well as our ailing brothers and sisters in Christ in all corners of the world. Uphold them with the peace that the world cannot give. Lord, in your mercy. Remember your people in their hour of sorrow, and by your Holy Spirit enable them to cast the burden of their cares upon you, knowing that you care for them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Jesus Christ, Son of God, and yet flesh of our flesh, you once came to man in order that you might die for us. Today, in your risen body and blood, you come to us again that we might live. By the working of your Holy Spirit, enable all who partake of the sacred sacramental meal to receive it in faith, believing it to bear to us the forgiveness that you won for us and now deliver unto us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, deliver us, preserve us, defend us, as you did all who have gone before us in the faith, that being defended from all evil and preserved from all that would ensnare the soul, we too would at last be delivered from this world unto the incomprehensible glory 
and undying joy that awaits us even now, and which is already enjoyed by the saints gone before. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Living and eternal God, receive our prayers for the sake of the bitter suffering and death of Jesus Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all worship and glory, now and throughout endless ages to come. Amen. The Lord be with you. salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you holy lord almighty father everlasting god through jesus christ our lord whose way john the baptist prepared proclaiming him the promised messiah the very lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and calling sinners to repentance that they might escape from the wrath to be revealed when he comes again in glory therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 sent your only begotten Son into our flesh to bear our sin and be our Savior. With repentant joy we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. Gathered in the name and the remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Grant us faithfully to eat his body and drink his blood as he bids us do in his own testament. Gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth to celebrate with all the faithful the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Receive, receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
pray. O God, the Father, the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.